Well, it is good to worship with you this afternoon, brothers and sisters. And if you have a copy, I'd ask you to grab a copy of the scriptures and turn to Jeremiah 23. We'll be in verses 1 through 6. And if you're here visiting us today, this is the concluding message that we'll be examining in a series that we've called Christmas Foretold. Now, the whole of Scripture points to the birth, the life, the work, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. So our consideration has taken us to passages that have significant value in a Christmas season. And our text this afternoon is no different. Now, a a normal question, a very normal uh, question to wrestle with is this. Am I frustrated by people put in leadership or influence in my life? So children, you have permission to admit, yes, your parents discourage and frustrate you at times. We're trying and we'll aim to do better. Some of you have employers that aren't as good of leaders or managers as they think. And there's a strong likelihood that some of you feel discouraged with a political leader or a mentor in your life. And what has become increasingly revealed and discussed in current years is the church hurt that many have suffered at the hands of well-meaning pastors and ministry leaders. Now, here's how the historical and empirical reality of Jesus' birth plays a part in this conversation. In the past weeks, we've considered how we've all been wondering how our life and world can be restored. We've wanted to know where to find true blessing in life. We've even wanted to know, in a crazy world with a plethora of influences, where we can look for a trustworthy prophetic voice to guide us. Well, this week, we consider this simple reality on a Christmas Eve. Jesus is a kind king. If we're also left in a world where we're consistently failed by leaders, well, is there one that can lead us well? Is there one who can lead not just a business, not just a political family, not just uh, even my own nuclear family, but is there one who can lead my soul in a trustworthy manner? Well, God has a word for you and I, my friends. Jeremiah is something of a priest and a prophet sent to give a dual message of judgment, but also of hope. He'd lay out how both God's people and God's leaders have failed, but there was a future hope and a future promise for something to change, something that did change, beginning with the birth of Christ. So would you read with me, please, and consider Jeremiah 23. I'll read verses 1 through 6. Woe! To the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, 
neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Well, this is God's word, and I would share with you two straightforward considerations this evening. First, in our text, we see our failed leaders. Now, I get this directly from verses 1 and 2. We got to look at that initial word. Whoa! Whoa! Now, I noticed as I said that, some of you young people got excited when you heard this. However, it's not what you think. If you're older and you want to have a good woe, you kids might have an idea what I'm about to do. If you're older and you want to have a good woe, you start out by pretending you're throwing up a tennis ball and throw your shoulder up, and that's a good start. If you have no idea about what I'm talking about right now, talk to a teenager and they'll explain it to you afterwards. But woe, woe, not just some dance that a kid might do, but woe in a biblical sense. We find this word over 90 times in our English Bibles, largely in the Old Testament and from Jesus' lips. Woe has the idea of expressing some kind of dissatisfaction. It's often used to communicate judgment on someone. Woe to you, your grandma might say as you take the cookie out of the jar. But earlier in the book, Jeremiah has used this word and his voice to talk about the displeasure and the obvious failing, the failing of God's people. They had turned their backs on God, and I think we can all relate to that. But here in verse 1, woe or judgment is spoken to the shepherds. Jeremiah is known something of a weeping prophet. So I would imagine with heavy hearts and maybe tears in his eyes, he says that these shepherds of these people have destroyed and scattered God's people and that these shepherds will be held accountable. So question, who were the shepherds of Israel? Well, in that day, before Jesus came on the scene, things operated a little differently. The shepherds, in fact, were the kings and the civil leaders of the country. So think back to the well-known King David. And this is what God said to him in 2 Samuel 5. You shall be the shepherd of my people, Israel, and you shall be prince over them. So afterwards, we read that the leaders and the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and they made King David the Lord over them, the king over them, the shepherd over them. The kings were to be the shepherds. Now, it's not a one-for-one in the operation of God's kingdom since Jesus came, but back in the day, the shepherding of souls fell upon these kings. And the king wasn't simply supposed to be a dictator of laws and regulations. He wasn't supposed to just be a great leader of an army and make sure that people had food and clothing and shelter. The king was given the responsibility to care for the souls of the people. So throughout the Old Testament, we see as we find today, as the leader goes, as the king goes, so go the people. 
when the king of Israel was faithful to God and his word, when he was marked by godliness and a genuine care and concern for his people, the nation prospered. And the people themselves were spiritually vibrant and faithful toward God. But we read, as that king was godless, unfaithful to the Lord and the scriptures, when he didn't care for God's people and their souls, well, it didn't go well. The nation and the individuals themselves suffered physically, spiritually, financially even. As the king went in the Old Testament, so went the people. Now, if you're familiar with the history of the Old Testament, the kings, they started out all right. But before long, it was mostly failure, mostly doom, mostly spiritual bankruptcy. In fact, in chapter 22 of Jeremiah, just before this, we're given a picture of a king named Jehoiakim. He was a wicked king, a shepherd who remodeled his palace on the oppression of the backs of the poor and needy. So we read in our passage in verses 1 and 2 that these shepherd kings have failed. They have destroyed. They have been unfaithful. Verse 2 says they have not attended, they have not cared, and they have not loved. So Jeremiah has already prior spilt a lot of ink and written and told the people themselves how they have sinned. But let's stay focused on the leaders just for one moment. God's word lays out for you and I that sometimes, quite frankly, our leaders stink. They are flawed and sinful. They are selfish and blind to their own faithlessness. Even in the local church, we're supposed to have a hospital for the hurting, the sinful, the poor. But shepherding and poor shepherding in that fact can create a community that's only further from God than near. So many of you have experienced this, and even if you're just visiting here this evening, many of you likely have a story of church hurt. So God's word in this passage through Jeremiah, I think, tells us a few things. First, God sees the reality of failing leaders. He's aware. Second, God says in verse 2 that he will attend to those leaders for their failure to attend and care for you. Third, God holds each of us accountable for our sin. And yes, we've all sinned, but leaders in a greater way are accountable. To whom much is given, much is required. So the application of Scripture always centers itself based on what we see of God. If he truly sees, as our passage says, if he attends to leaders for their failure, if he holds each of us accountable, how does that affect me on a Monday morning? See, on Monday, Christmas is over, and I'm still left with parents, bosses, politicians, and pastors who fail me. So what do I do? And, in fact, there's a good chance that I'm failing someone too, you may say. So how do I move forward from here? These verses bend the faithful follower of Christ to put their trust in the words of Scripture. Is our hope based on what we can manufacture and fix? Is our hope dependent on whether or not our preferred leader is in place? 
Jeremiah's promise reminds us that our hope is in God. The same God who sovereignly, providentially, mysteriously works all things for good. He sees your hurt and your frustration. He sees your own and others' sins. So the idea of God's seen in verses 1 and 2 has huge ramifications. In a world full, full of iPhones, IG accounts, and Facebook, kids, Facebook is the app on your phone that your grandparents use. We've never seemingly, seemingly been more connected. Yet, many feel invisible and lonely. Many are left wondering if anyone sees them or cares. Well, God sees in our passage. God cares. And as we follow him faithfully, he will shape our hearts to see and care for others as well. So may God help us. And I think as an aside, it also forces us to remember that regardless of the leader, my greatest problem, your greatest problem, is inside ourselves, not outside ourselves. The poor actions of leaders don't excuse our poor actions. It's a leveling reality that God sees everyone's flaws equally. If you have come to the self-righteous conclusion that other people are the problem, you've conveniently missed the point. Well, we see that shepherds are terrible. Merry Christmas. What a sober Christmas message so far. Uh, in fact, I can see in your faces, many of you are wondering, is this a Christian and a Christmas message at all? Yes, it is. I have good news for you. Look next in Jeremiah 23, and I want to point out in verses 3 through 6, our loving Father. As we read, Jeremiah's message is one of judgment, yes, but one of hope. Accountability will come, but so too will true care, true love and protection and salvation. Through the prophet's lips, God promises to bring in scattered sheep, verse 3. God promises to set over them faithful shepherds for those who've been hurting and missing, verse 4. And finally, in fully, God will raise up a righteous branch, a true king, who will bring security, righteousness, and peace in verses 5 and 6. So allow me this afternoon to warm our hearts for just a moment by pointing out a few realities concerning the very character of God. Christmas is a time for the faithful follower of Christ, the skeptic, the agnostic, the bored, and the spiritually blind to all come and ask a very genuine question. Who is God and is he worth following? Now, I've shown my hand a bit. I've said that God is a loving father. But that love is manifested here in our text in a couple of ways. So first, consider in this Christmas season, at verse 3 and 4, look at it, the initiation of God. He always, always takes the first step. When the people of God are oppressed, when they are led or shepherded poorly, when abuse, ungodliness, and a lack of integrity are present, does God see? Does God care? 
Well, very clearly in our passage, that answer is yes. God's heart, my friends, is always for the broken and for the lost, for the wayward and for the questioning. He promised and initiates by gathering his people, bringing them back to the fold, and producing in them vitality, fruitful vitality in life. Do you know that your own spiritual vitality in life is not dependent on how hard you try, but rather God graciously, lovingly initiates that in you, whether you feel like it or not in a Christmas season. He initiates by promising to one day, as he speaks to Israel, set up shepherds that will care for them well. See, God doesn't wait for you to produce something better in the Christian life. God doesn't wait for leaders to fix themselves. God doesn't allow you to manufacture your own solution or just stand by and wait. He acts on your behalf. Even if you're not feeling super spiritual, even if you aren't interested in Him acting, He moves toward you and He brings healing that we long for in His time. Now, those shepherds who are to come that we see in these verses are immediately dependent by the nature of verse 5. Look at that again. The days are coming in God's economy and kingdom, in His dealings with humanity, when good shepherds will come because of the righteous branch, this good king. He says, I will raise him up. I will initiate to move toward you. I will care for you by sending a king to produce, not just faithful shepherds, but he himself will be faithful and wise and just and the leader you've been looking for and asking for and longing for all your life, whether you realize it or not. You see, as you navigate reading throughout the Old Testament, you come across one king after another. Or maybe in our day, even as you look at the civil leadership of our communities and country, we're left asking, will a righteous king ever come? Even David... He seemed like a good dude, right? Well, even David, David leveraged his power to sleep with a woman and kill a man. The kings and shepherds seem only to get worse from there. And in our day today, we would probably say it the same. Will a king come? And that, my friends, is what we actually celebrate in a Christmas season. The birth of Christ is the final and forever fulfillment of this promise. So, a question, do, do I feel, do you feel driven out and unfruitful and dry in this season? Do you feel uncared for and forgotten? Do you wrestle with pride and fear? Do you operate? Do you live your life and operate as though something is missing from your life, but you can't quite say what it is? Do I long for better leaders with justice and righteousness in the land? Do I simply want rest and security? If you answer yes to those questions, if you answer yes to those questions, you are waiting for the righteous branch to come. You need Christmas more than you realize. Jesus came to fulfill this on your behalf. He came as prophet, priest, and king 
So you, like many Jews and God-fears through the ages, you might read verse 5 and have an idea of what kind of king, what kind of king of justice and righteousness might look like. Well, maybe it'd be a king with a heavy hand who wipes away those who look at him the wrong way. Maybe you envision a high and mighty emperor who makes executive orders based on the whim of his preference or the cultural winds of the day. Perhaps you envision a king who punishes the wicked, but lines his pockets with cash while he does it, for his trouble and his right, of course. But we see in Scripture that Jesus was a different model, a different kind of king. So many years ago, you may be familiar, a civil leader named Pilate stood before Jesus, and he asked him a very simple question. Are you king. Jesus responds, it is as you say. But the question, are you a king? Are you king? He asked. The question had to be asked because as Jesus told him that his kingdom was not of this world, Pilate saw The disciples saw, and anyone who reads through the scriptures see that Jesus is a different type of king. This is a king who, as Jeremiah said, would come and deal wisely. He would provide justice and righteousness in the land. He would offer salvation to weary people, frustrated with imperfect leaders. Jesus did all of this, but in a different way. We call it the gospel. A word that means good news. So in a Christmas season, here is the good news of this king. Jesus, as you may know, was not born on December 25th. But we take the winter solstice as a time in our yearly calendar to mark and celebrate an event in human history that literally changed everything. A king was born. He, the God-man, lived a perfect, sinless life, fully and truly loving his father and loving his neighbor as God commanded, Jesus succeeded where we all have failed. He lived a holy life. And he took that perfect life, and instead of cashing it in as a king, leveraging things for his own benefit, he did the unthinkable, this king. The king died for his people. He died in their place. He suffered the penalty for sin in their place. He died for the hypocrites. He died for the greedy. He died for the sexually perverse. He died for the secret sins that we hide in our minds. He died so that we didn't have to pay for all the wrong, rebellion, and backturning that we've done to God. So after his death, he rose, the scriptures say, he rose from the grave three days later. Conquering sin, conquering death, rising to new life, raised to heaven, seated on the throne as king over the hearts of his people. The true king. And anyone who trusts in him, anyone who clings to his promises, even in a Christmas season, those who believe he is the good and wise king, who substituted himself for his people, they received the promises of Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23 is yours in Christ. 
Those who repent of their sins and trust in Jesus are given forgiveness, eternal life, a new heart, and the security that Jeremiah promised. They are gathered in and become the children of God, men, women, children who are now new and different. They become faithful followers of Christ. They experience this now in the life that God has given them, and they experience it not yet in the eternal fullness of heaven one day. This king, my friends, is different. This king leads in a way in which no one ever expresses disappointment. Unlike shepherds who fail and destroy and scatter, Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. We see this king actually is the fulfillment of what we've covered these past four weeks. Jesus, this king, is Eve's offspring who would come to crush evil and bring restoration. Jesus, this king, is Abraham's blessing who showers us with grace in a Christmas season. Jesus is Moses' prophet who prophetically leads and speaks to us tenderly. Jesus is Jeremiah's king, a king who leads and shepherds our hearts like no one else could. This Christmas, would you look upon the beauty of Jesus? He is not simply the center of all of Scripture. He is the center, the creator, the sustainer, and the very purpose of our lives. If you do not know Christ, consider what Jesus at the center may mean for your life and for your eternity. If you are a faithful follower of Christ, is he the focal point, the core of how you're living now? And my friends, if you've realized that you've lived for yourself this past year and not for a king, if you have set yourself up as the king and the God of your own life, you need to know that there is great grace for you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn to him now. Jesus is a kind king. And that Christmas message will change not just what the next two days look like, but what the rest of your life and eternity will look like. Would you turn to this kind king? This week, in closing, I, I want to share a prayer. I, I read of a book of old Puritan prayers. So, in closing, I'm going to read a Christmas prayer to you. A prayer about a king and the love of Jesus. And the prayer goes like this. My heart melts at the love of Jesus. My brother, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Married to me, dead for me, risen for me. He is mine and I am his, given to me as well as for me. I am never so much mine as when I am his, or so much lost to myself until lost in him. It is then I find my true humanity. But my love is frost and cold and ice and snow. Let his love warm me, lighten my burden, and be my heaven. May it be more revealed to me in all its influences that my love to him may be more fervent and glowing. 
Let the mighty tide of his everlasting love cover the rocks of my sin and my care. Then let my spirit float above those things which had else wrecked my life. Make me fruitful by living to that love, my character by becoming more beautiful every day. If traces of Christ's love artistry be upon me, may he work on with his divine brush until the complete image be obtained and I be made a perfect copy of him, my master. O Lord Jesus, come to me. O divine spirit, rest upon me. O holy father, look on me in mercy for the sake of the well-beloved, this Jesus this kind king. Short prayer. Father, would you impress these truths into our hearts? Would we follow the true king, the king who tenderly cares, the the king who lays down his life, the king who was born to die and offer joy unspeakable, God, this Christmas season, would the kingship of Christ not be a threat? Would it not feel like a judgment? But would it be a warm invitation to the embrace of following God? Lord, help us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.